welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, 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 everyone. Welcome to the show. Today on the World of Speakers, you will hear from someone who is fearless. She'll help you fear less. Her name is Rebecca Heiss, as in nice. And since I've gotten to know her over the last few minutes before this call, she thinks she's funny. I think we'll have fun, but I'm concerned whether you think she's funny or not. So as a result of this, if you think she's funny because she thinks she's funny, you will need to give her that feedback. Now, if you don't think she's funny, she needs to know that she's not funny. And if that's the case, then she has an app where you can tell her she's not funny, so she's funny less to help you more. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. I honestly cannot say I've ever had a better introduction, although I am terrified now that I am not funny. I am going to fear less and accept the fact that if your audience thinks I'm not funny, that's okay. Yeah. And you can make a joke about that later and then we'll see how that lands. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, if I can even pull up any jokes, I'm so afraid right now. I don't know. Well, let's not be afraid. Let's fear less. And um, I am going to ask you a question that I know you have no fear in answering. That is the fact that you have a lot of stories. Some funny, some not. I don't know. It's up to you and us to judge. But I want to challenge you to tell me a single story from your past, a moment in time, per se. And that moment in time is something that I can use for the rest of my life to introduce you. Hey, Vin, you got to meet my buddy, Rebecca. She, well, actually this one time, fill in the story you're about to tell, and then he's going to be like, oh my gosh, he'll make his judgment, he'll get to know you all through the single story. A lot of pressure, but I know you got this. What story can you think of? The story that I'll tell you is that at 22, I decided that I was going to hike across Spain. So I packed up all my gear. I planned this whole big, long trek across a 500-mile hike across Spain. It's called the Camino de Santiago. And of course, me being who I am, I was like, I don't want to do the traditional trail. I want to do the toughest trail. Let me go through the mountains. Let me try and make this as hard as possible on myself because I want to fear less. So I want to do the, the bravest, boldest thing that I can. So it is day one. I am seven-ish miles into this hike and I am looking around like, oh, this is so beautiful. And I take one misstep and I hear this little pop, pop and my ankle goes. Oh no. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like seven miles in. I only have what, 493 miles to go and trying to decide if I can put any weight on this ankle. So the short version of a much longer story is I had the most incredible adventure, was able to avail of the wonderful emergency rooms in Spain and made the 500 mile trek only to return home to my orthopedic surgeon who said, "Uh, you have no ligaments left in your ankle. What happened? And when did you do it? And it was 500 miles and 22 days ago. So that's my short story. (laughs) The one legged wonder. Did you actually skip? Was it more of a skip than a walk? Like a one sided skip? Yeah, it was a lot of cussing, honestly. There was a lot of (laughs) words that my mom would not be proud of. And, you know, with your Ahoy intro, I figured I might as well bring out my inner pirate. Yeah, lots of positive thoughts, lots of mantras, lots of great people that helped me along the way. Nice. I imagined you as Yosemite Sam, just sort of stumbling. You got it. That's very accurate. (laughs) So if I were to digest that story as something that I could share with someone to let them know who you are, Granted, I don't even know who you are. 
I think that's pretty good. You are adventurous. You are someone who looks at an adventure not as like the end result, but like the beginning. This idea of, hey, let's go do this. Somebody might take that as an adventure. You use that as the baseline. You're like, all right, we're at the X axis here. Where do we like to start? Let's climb up the Y axis first and make it difficult on ourselves. So that says a lot. (laughs) The fact that you continued to destroy your ligaments makes me realize you're probably not a doctor or a professional runner because you would have been smarter than that. But that's fine. I'm not saying you're dumb. You just know what you're after and you go get that. You go get that mountain. I mean, I'm not the useful kind of doctor, Ryan. I do have a PhD, but I, I can't, you know, do anything useful with it. So, yeah. Good, good. She, we're going to learn more about that as well. Now, has hiking always been like one of the things that you do? And that's why that was chosen? Yeah, I mean... I grew up hiking. My dad is a big hiker and did all the Adirondack peaks. And so it was kind of in my blood, I guess. I love the outdoors. I love escaping. I love testing myself, pushing myself and trying to kind of find a positive spin on things. My life motto is spread happy, right? So even with a busted ligament on day one, I'm going, all right, how can I still turn this into an adventure rather than an ordeal? Because I truly believe the difference between an adventure and an ordeal is right here in our brains. So, okay. A couple other questions. Your dad, was your dad in education? Well, maybe you might say that my dad was a minister. Okay. So I'm a preacher's kid. It tells you a whole okay. lot of information. We go one way or another. I'll let you decide <laughs> where I ended up. Yep. But my dad was a minister. I spent many, a many a Sundays in those hard pews learning lessons, but he was a storyteller. Well, it's, it's funny because my guess was something to do in education, but that is definitely in education. And my follow-up, if I was wrong or right, was going to be, was your dad a speaker? And he is one of the most (laughs) ultimate speakers alive. He truly is. And I love to meet speakers who are influenced by their parents. And he made you hike. So I'm assuming that, if anything, he probably showed you that someone can talk as a profession, maybe, that it can be the power of sharing voice and messages. I'm assuming it's more of an upbeat pastor that he was instead of like doom and gloom, you're going to burn kind of style. Yeah, there's no doom and gloom. In fact, my sister and I made it a Saturday night ritual to try and challenge him to work something into a sermon. He tended to be a bit of a procrastinator. And so wait a minute, are you a procrastinator? I'm not. Okay. I'm totally not. I am like way ahead of schedule. That's my mom and me. Good. (laughs) My dad will be like, you know, Saturday night, like, hey, dad, you think you can work in, I don't know, Gloria Estefan into the sermon tomorrow? Just or the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> Can you work an angle on that? And inevitably, it would at least keep us paying attention in church. And usually, he could work it in somehow. He was genius at telling stories. So, Okay, well, I think you're an adventurous storyteller who sees the finish line over fear. That's my assessment of you. I like that. The finish line over fear. I'll, I'll push back a little bit on it. Okay. <laughs> now you can see that I'm a challenger. I don't think there is a finish line. I think you might reach a point where you think it's the finish line, but then you have a new fear to conquer. You have a new mountain to climb. You have a new challenge ahead of you. I think there's a lot of focus on the finish line and people trying to maximize and get to the the epitome of their career or their love life or whatever it is that they're seeking. And that just kind of leads to more unhappiness because they reach it and they're like, well, why don't I 
I don't know, I feel like I'm supposed to feel right now. This is this is weird. Wait, huh? And so you're kind of moving the gold post. Yeah, cash rules everything around me, right? What? Cream! Dollar, dollar bills, yo. Oh my gosh. But. We go way back. But it sets you up for failure. For sure. So it sets you up for failure. Yeah, I'll tell you, that was one of the biggest takeaways from my dad and my mom. My mom was kindergarten teacher. So I learned early on that community was where the real wealth was. And if you can build community, if that is, that's probably the most important value that I can take away is, is having a, a community that you can give to, that you can give back to, because they'll support you in your times of need, which we all have. I dig it. Now, the real question is, why, for somebody who likes to be outdoors and hike, did you put yourself into a position pre-COVID to be in musty rooms filled with hundreds of people? <laughs> Or post-COVID in front of a computer mm. with one eye that's staring at you onto people who are possibly doing something else to try to get their attention to talk with them to be a speaker. Why did you do that? Where was that transition? Yeah, I wish I could say this was a complete conscious decision and I had this pathway mapped out and I was just, no, I was staring at my compass and it was spinning and I really stumbled on this. This was a, I had given a TED talk and gotten really lucky to have that opportunity. And somebody had pulled me aside afterwards and said, hey, would you come speak at my company? And I was like, oh, sure. And they handed me a check. And I was like, this is amazing. People get paid to speak? You know, I'm a professor. I'm, I'm speaking every day. I don't get paid like this. This is incredible. And I, I love communication. I love boiling down complex things and applying, for me, science and biology in particular to Areas that don't necessarily uh, typically have that lens. So business, for example, most people don't think of the biology of business or understanding business from a biological perspective. But at the end of the day, we're humans, right? We're, we're the ones making the decisions as human beings and humans are biological in nature. So I think it's a fun challenge to apply science in realms that don't typically see it. Interesting. <laughs> I'm going to connect you with my buddy, John Bates. Okay. He talks about how sometimes things are not logical. They are biological. Mm. And when you're communicating from the stage, you may think that you're doing something. You may think that that resonates with an audience, but really their biology says something different. So I do want to transition into finding all of the different cells and the mitochondria and the nuclei within somebody who stumbled upon the opportunity to do what you were already naturally good at, that you have a foundation for seeing the power in. And like you have a unique perspective as a speaker who's not quote unquote classically trained. Yeah. Now, I always think people should classically train no matter how far along you are. I'm always a student, always a learner. But what are the, at the cellular level for somebody who stumbled onto speaking and somebody who's listening going, that happened to me. I had a TED talk and I realized I could do this and make some extra income or make more impact in my community. What are, let's say, we'll start with the three biological tips that you find yourself doing that are effective. And then I won't let you get away with just being the initial water that's wrung out of this hose (laughs) or wrung out of this towel. We're going to continue to squeeze it. And then I don't know if you remember, you grab one side and then both people spin in opposite directions and then you spin around and then that puts the extra tightness on Mm. the towel and then water comes out. So let's get molecular. All right, let's get molecular. Unfortunately, I'm not a molecular biologist, but that's okay. That's cool. I'm good with it. Let's get biological. Let's get bio nerdy. So let me start with how to avoid the pitfalls of being a lousy speaker through our biology. So our brain can't handle very much information at once. We are literally living in the fire hose of information. 
And as technology has continued to increase, that pressure has just gotten turned up. So as most speakers, myself included, this is one of my biggest challenges, which is why it's at the forefront of my mind. Most speakers want to communicate everything they know as fast as possible to this audience because I want to add value and I want to add value. And so, and here comes every little piece of information that I can possibly give you as fast as I can. And oh my gosh, I only have an hour to communicate it all. And so I'm just going to go really fast. I'm just gonna go. And at the end, people walk away and they're like, what just happened? I don't, nothing sticks. Because biologically, we're getting bombarded by about, oh, 400 billion bits of information every single second. And our conscious brain can only process about 2,000 bits per second. So that means that 99.999999% of the time, all that information is getting passed to our subconscious. So two things. We have to access the subconscious. In other words, wake up that subconscious with something that we say. So illicit emotion. Right. Biologically, we have to elicit emotion. Okay, okay, watch this. I'm going to cut you off. Yeah. Because I literally was thinking to myself how you were just saying to not overdo the information. <laughs> and then as soon as we went past that, you're like, and then there's two things. And I actually just started to get nothing. And so it was an interesting example. It's no offense, but I want to go back to if you tell them everything, nothing sticks. Can we call that a mud note? Yes. A mud note. Right? This vision. I love it. Just, just throw, throw it. everything up on the wall. Yep. Right? Yep. So yeah, something will stick, but what's going to stick is nothing. That's exactly it. Why do we feel that it is actually a strategy that works? What's, I don't know if you can speak to the psychology, but I want to get stuck on this for a second. 100%. And honestly, let me back up and say, you're not going to offend me because the reason it was at the tip of my tongue is because this is the thing that I am still practicing. <laughs> I still have this tendency and here's why. Psychologically, our two biggest fears are rejection and failure. And so if we are scared that we are going to be rejected because we don't have enough information or we're going to fail to communicate our message clearly, we are just trying to show our value, show our value, show our value. We're basically trying to not get kicked out of the tribe. So think about how we lived for 200,000 years. You have a very intimate tribe of, I don't know, 100 people, and you have to show your value. Because if you're not valuable, why would we take care of you? So here I am. I have this tribe, your listeners right now, and I just want to give them everything so I can show I know something. Love me, love me, love me. Right? This is, I don't, don't reject me. (laughs) Because rejection means death. You get kicked out of the tribe, you're dead. Well, no, it doesn't. Now, is that subconscious? 100%. Because you're aware of it. Yeah. So it's really underlying. This is the tricky bit of subconscious conscious. I can be aware of it but that doesn't mean I act on it. You're aware, for example, or you're about to be, that when you put your hand on a hot stove, you pull it back before you feel heat or pain. Now, you're aware of that. So next time, don't pull it back. You're not going to be able to do it, right? You're not going to be able to do it. Don't worry. I'm not setting you up for a third degree burn, right? That is just because we're aware of something doesn't mean we can act from it. And that becomes part of the problem. So are people aware in the moment that they're doing it, but they're just not taking action to stop it? Is that in real time? Or is it a sign if you're not aware of it and somebody tells you afterwards, like, dude, do you realize how fast you were talking? And like, wait, what? Yeah. How does someone become aware? Because there are people who are not aware, even though they could be aware. Hi, are you talking to me directly right now, Ryan? Because I feel like you might be. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) I'm having a conversation with myself. I mean, (laughs) 
Yeah. So this is the thing. I mean, there are a lot of people that are unaware of this information, which makes it a nice tip, right? So here's your tip. Your tip is slow down, give less information because our brains aren't capable of processing. Great. Now you're aware of it. Now, the second tip is keep practicing that tip. Keep becoming aware and recognizing that people aren't going to value you less if you give them less information. In fact, they're going to value you more if you give them one piece of information that sticks rather than a fire hose of information that's a mud shot, right? That they don't take anything away from. Okay, so I want to keep on this for a second. Yeah. We're talking about the difference between a keynote and a mud note, <laughs> which is new to me as well. I kind of like it, right? Because I've given I some mud it. notes before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the word... Actually, and this is a, a pop quiz, and, and if you don't know, it's not a big deal because I didn't know this, but do you know what the word keynote, at least some of the origin is it, it is and why a keynote is called a keynote? No, go on. Okay. Now, I'm not a musician, although I can play guitar as good as when I left high school. Like, I'm just as good, but no better, <laughs> which reminds me that if I want to get better at something, I actually have to do it. Mm. But the keynote in like a song or a pattern or something is like the thing that, that really keeps it going. It's that keynote. It's that one thing that is the mm. beat. I'm, I'm using the wrong, I rap. And so I don't really worry about keynotes. It's yeah. something, it's this keynote and it's, it sets the tone. It really has a, if you look at a full conference and everybody kind of calls a keynote every spot now, but in pure forms, the keynote is the one or two that are the pay the big bucks. And it's totally cool. If you're not in a keynote, call a keynote it's sort of ambiguous. But understanding, I remind myself, like, what is the tone that I want to set? What am I going to bring people through? But there also has this singularity, like, element to it. It's, there's only one key. Yep. Or is there more than one key? So my question, in order to not have a mud note that's an inch deep, a mile wide, <laughs> and instead a key note that is an inch wide and a mile deep, how many keys individually do you think comes across in a talk? Maybe give a reference for a 20-minute talk because those are popular mm -hmm. or even something that's a longer form, like a traditional hour, hour and a half. How many keys? Because maybe knowing the number of keys can help to regulate your mud. Great question. So, Ryan, I'm going to turn it around on you. The last okay. time you listened to a keynote, what do you remember from it? Good question. I need to first remember the last keynote that I watched. <laughs> so, I'll bail you out a little bit here. My okay. guess is it's one thing. And often it's not even the point that the keynoter was trying to get across. Like the last keynote that I remember, somebody, I'm just going to put this here. I have now a beanie sitting on my shoulder. This is what he did. He talked with a squirrel sitting on his shoulder. Now, I can't tell you, a stuffed squirrel, don't worry, it wasn't live. I can't tell you what the keynote was about, right? But I remember this one thing. And like at some point he like noticed it. He was like, oh, that's what I remember from the keynote. So if... That's your moment of emotional, like, whether it's laughter or like, okay, that's funny. That's great. I don't know what his takeaway was, but I remember that because it elicited an emotion. Is that why you ate Ben and Jerry's in the beginning of your TEDx? 100%. See, you remember that, don't you? Well, that was the last talk that I was in. When you said keynote, I went to like, I haven't been in a major conference physically. And you know, the last one was in February of last year. And, but I remember that you were eating Ben and Jerry's right out the gate. Yeah, right out the gate. Was that a strategy? It was a strategy because now here you are, you're curious, you're like, why is she eating Ben and Jerry's? Do you remember why I was eating Ben and Jerry's? This is test of my keynote ability more than your memory. Let me think. I remember that it, you made a joke about the Ben and Jerry's of like the Cro-Magnon era or something. It was like antelope and something. Perfect. The flavor. Antelope, cantaloupe. Yeah. There, antelope, cantaloupe. There you go. There we go. Now, why would I talk about the Cro-Magnon, right? Like, what is that about? Well, my whole keynote 
was about our brains being stuck in the Stone Age. So now you have this element that makes you laugh or like, oh, you remember it because it's Ben and Jerry's and now it's a cantaloupe antelope. Even if you don't remember the name of it, you're like, oh, that was weird. It was back in that day. So now I've connected this sensation of, oh, fats and sugars are delicious. And you can physiologically remember how Ben and Jerry's tastes. Now I've taken that biological experience, tracked it onto your brain and attached something to it. So now here's this thing that we all can share in. We all know what something smells like or something tastes like. Now I want to add one more piece of information to that. Stone Age brain. All right. If you take away nothing else from that talk and you remember that we have Stone Age brains, you can look through that lens and recognize, oh, that's why I'm eating Ben and Jerry's. That's why I love Ben and Jerry's. That's why I'm scared of that person who doesn't look like me. Because if I have a Stone Age brain, this is who I live with. Right? There's so many takeaways that you can apply through that lens if that's your only thing that you take away. Okay. I have a new idea. Yeah. And it's called the Titanic Test. Woo. Bring it on. One of the most stressful moments for me in that movie was when Jack had finally gotten free and he had this whole thing of keys and the water uh. level's rising and he had, I'm, I'm getting chills right now. It's like, come right. on, Jack, don't, <laughs> don't die on me yet, right? Come on, Jack. And it's like holding your breath and under and it's like, which one? And it's not that one. So I had this vision of like, I have this key ring with like the janitor's key ring, right? Mm-hmm. The Titanic key ring. That's what you need to get out of the ship. The sinking ship, that is your talk. If you That is your keynote that is going under. <laughs> yeah, right? And we can just assume that it's going to go down. So how do you get out of it? It doesn't take all the keys. It doesn't. It just takes one key. And that is what is special about TEDx talks in their pure form. Mm-hmm. I've helped a lot of people get on the TEDx stage, and I've done a lot of TEDx coaching, and, and I've done four TEDx myself. And I keep going back to the purity. What is the one thing that you're going to talk about? And people are like, well, I want to talk about this and this. No, stop. Mm-mm. Like, it's about how to get bears not to chase you. Like, the, right. what's the one thing? Right. <laughs> it's about pausing. It's about being yourself. It's about blank. I could not agree more. And I mean, that is the brilliant thing about, I think, every keynote. There's a reason that TED Talks and TEDx Talks are popular. They're popular because it's that one thing. It's that one focus that you're like, oh, got it. That formula works. And so I think the more you can cramp down on that fire hose, do the Titanic key ring test, that's brilliant. I love that. Okay. So for the people who are aware of this mm-hmm. and they even know that they want to act in a certain way, but their biology is still fearful of this advice because it's counter to what their body believes about rejection. Because I have worked with people and said, slow down. And then they keep going. But it's like they know it, they're aware of it, they go, yes, yes, but then they still don't do it. So from a biological standpoint, what is the biological key to discovering the mud note key for the Titanic test? (laughs) Oh, man, not the direction I thought you were going to go. I thought where you were going with that is if I'm aware of this and I'm still doing this, how can I use my biology to work with me rather than against me in that moment? And for me, it's about the audience. So- As speakers, I think sometimes we see the audience as our enemy. Like they're the ones that are judging me, right? They're the ones I have to prove my worth to, prove myself that I'm valuable, I'm worthy. Give me, give me, give me, allow me to stay in this tribe. So if we can flip the switch on that in our heads and say, I don't have to prove myself. This audience is my tribe. I'm already in. They're cheering for you, right? Like no audience wants to see a bad keynoter. That's nobody shows up like, ah, I can't wait to see how this person's going to fail today. No, they're there for you. So if you can incorporate them and see them as your tribe already, 
then having the conversation that people always say, you know, don't go up and preach. You just have a conversation becomes a lot easier because you don't have to tell them everything. You tell them the one thing. Here's the one thing. Now it's a lower stress. And I like for this whole section, we literally are just talking about one thing for this whole time. So (laughs) it is super focused. I think we're on brand here with that. But again, before we move to the next section, I just want to squeeze this towel just a little bit more. The final drip. You can tell yourself the audience is your community. You can tell yourself and you can try to think it. Mm. But when you're in the moment and you're prepared for that one thing and you listen to this podcast and you're like, this is my one thing. And then you get up there and then the shining lights or the grid of all these people or even worse, the names that you see on Zoom because you don't even know if they're there. Oh my gosh. Right. Completely anonymous. So people can still be aware. They can still go into it thinking these hundred high school students, they all have my book. They're all part of my audience. But at the same time, I'm like a little fearful that these high schoolers are going to find my humor funny or whatever. Right. Right. So you're leveraging the biology that, yes, we want to see them as an Mm. audience that Mm -hmm. is part of our community. Mm -hmm. How can we really trick ourselves to in that moment, not defaulting back to just throwing the mud at the wall? Two things. Okay. I'll try and make this as clean and clear as I can. One, our brain believes the story we tell it. Yes, I agree. Consciously. So if we can consciously tell the story that I'm, I'm not nervous, I'm not scared that they're going to not find me funny, that trains our brain to this stress response that we're having, which we can't control our physiology, right? Our heart is beating. So if I'm telling the story that I'm not scared right now, what does that mean? Oh, it must mean I'm excited. That's the only other possibility for our brain to interpret those nerves as. So now we're shifting from a state of anxiety and nerves and what if I get this wrong and they're going to kick me out of the tribe to, huh, I can't wait to tell them this one thing, this one valuable thing that I have to offer my community. That's a powerful switch. So just that one story. All right. So that was thing one. Thing two. Now, I know I've said create the tribe and that's lovely and nice. And it's kind of what we do with mission, vision and values in a, in a business, right? You've got these lovely berries that you're out picking. You're like, oh, lovely day. But what happens when the tiger shows up behind you? That's the stress. That's the spotlight. Well, you run. You forget about the mission, vision, and values. You forget about the one thing you want to communicate. You're just like, ah, stress mode. So instead, what we can do is we can control that tiger. We can create a common enemy because that's what our brain is looking for anyway. We're looking for the one person who's scowling in the audience. We're looking for that tiger that's behind us. We're not looking for the mission, vision, and values. We're not looking for the one thing. That's not what our brain is cued into. So what if the clear, common, external enemy that we have isn't a tiger, but it's my massive information that I'm going to try and give? We create an enemy of that. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Now that's the enemy. The mud is the enemy. The mud is the enemy. Yeah. mud me. The mud me. Ooh, I like that. I think we could coin that. Let's trademark that immediately. Sounds like a good book. mud me. mud me. <laughs> okay. So to paraphrase what you said, mm-hmm. to keep that one inch and going down this mile track... <laughs> You don't have control over your physiology, but you can help to influence the translation of what your body is telling your brain. Perfect. I say thoughts become words, words become things, so think the thoughts that you want. Yep. It's part of a rap, but it also makes me think of Dr. Nick Morgan, who graciously introduced us, and his book, What Everybody's Saying, is very aware of these types of outside data, Mm -hmm. and what fascinated me the first time I interviewed him was his backstory of of getting hit in the head with a tobog- he was tobogganing, brain injury, and he lost his sense of really getting that feedback, essentially. Huh. And he became so obsessed about why he's seeing something different 
And that's one thing that really stuck with me. The podcast, one thing is analogous to the keynote, one thing. Like, that's what I remember from the podcast. Hmm. And so for me, it brings all that together that your body is saying something like his example, when you come home late and your wife's at the door and she's got her arms folded. I love it. And she's like, yeah. and you're like, what's wrong? I love you so much. Yeah. I'm totally fine. Yeah. I'm great yeah. with my arms folded and my brows cow- like scouring. And right. so your body may be telling you one thing, mm-hmm. but try to work to be more aware that you can act differently against the common enemy of the mud, which we are now calling the mud of me. I love the mud of me. Yeah. Wait, I hate the mud of me. I love the concept <laughs> yes. of the yes. mud of me, but they are the enemy, right? Absolutely. Okay. The enemy is the mud of me. The enemy is the mud of me. The enemy is the mud of me. Yeah. I'm waiting for the time when our technology starts to know ourselves better than our spouses, right? You come home and, and your wife is sitting there like all angry and, and you're like, what's wrong? And she's like, how do you not know? My watch knows me. My watch knows that my right. blood sugar is low. Like, this is... Yeah. So and you're like, okay, can I out. see that? And then yeah. we could use an applet. You. Do you know about if, then, then that? Do you know about applets? No. Oh my gosh. And for everybody listening, if you also don't know what applets are, do some research on applets. They are applications to help other applications work. And so for example, if you send out a tweet with a particular hashtag, the applet could, if that happens, then something else happens. If, then, <laughs> then that. So now that tweet could be categorized into a spreadsheet on Google Docs. And when that Google Docs gets an entry, it could also send an automated email. So I would ask my wife if I could connect an applet to see where her blood sugar is to help warn me before <laughs> so that I can be there to support her. We are in the mud of me right now, I am telling you. We are <laughs> we, in the mud of me right gone. now. We have gone there. <laughs> I love it. See, I think you're funny. I'm laughing. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. My family does not appreciate it as much as you, so... The problem is your family doesn't give you honest feedback. Therefore, you need Rebecca's app. So true. Actually, I would extend that to say nobody gives you honest feedback because we're all scared to give honest feedback and we're scared to receive that honest feedback. So it all comes back to fear. Because we are scared of rejection, but really all these dots are connecting. So for people who are having fun with this, they're about to the point where they're going to be like, these people are having fun and I'm not. Get back to the show. I understand (laughs) that. Let's do it. So I want to finish strong with one single piece of advice for building your speaking business that has worked for you and your path is your own. How have you been able to, in COVID especially, Mm. build your speaking business? One Um, thing, no mud, just one, the key. Are you familiar with Ulysses Packs or Ulysses Contracts? No, I know Ulysses from studying Latin for four years and reading the Odyssey. Yeah, there it is. That's the basic concept. You choose a freely made decision that's designed to bind yourself in the future. So for those non-literature nerds, Ulysses famously wanted to hear the songs of the sirens. And yet he knows that if he hears the songs of the sirens, he's going to jump into the water to his death. So what he does is he binds himself. He makes this decision. I'm going to hear it. He literally has his crew bind him to the ship so he can't jump in. And he has all of his men put earwax or beeswax in their ears. So now they can't hear it. And they say, he says to them, arm yourself. If I try and escape, kill me. Like, do everything you can. Don't let me jump in the water. These mermaids are pretty and they are convincing, but keep tied up. But boy, golly. So there's a bunch of examples of how we can create a Ulysses contract in like the legal world or the medical world. A good example might be your living will. If I'm in some kind of accident, I want this to happen. If I'm incapacitated and I can't make decisions for myself, 
But I want to take that a step further and say, you're always incapacitated. Like none of us can make good, sound, rational decisions <laughs> most of the time. It's like, I am going to work until seven o'clock tonight. No, I'm not. My favorite show is going to come on. I'm going to go eat some popcorn. I'm going to sit down and I'll be like, ah, that email will wait for tomorrow. So creating the Ulysses Pact or a Ulysses contract has been one of the biggest things for me that ensures me that I am taking steps in my business to make sure that I'm going back and every day saying, how did I grow this? How did I grow that? And I'll go back to the one thing, right? The keynote thing, the one thing. What is the one thing you are focused on? That's what you're doing today. Boom, go do it. Create that Ulysses Pact. Make sure that somebody is holding you accountable because if you don't, what happens? Well, for me, it had to be something emotional. So it's... (laughs) Money will go, and I will not say where, but money will go from my account directly to to something that I don't believe in, a foundation that I would never support. Oh, the negative. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. Yes. Because I'll tell you what, if, for example, <laughs> I'll just give an example. If I found out that like, if I did not finish the keynote that I was working on, if I did not practice it 20 times that day then my $100 goes to the Nazi party, right? Like, right. I'm going to practice that keynote. I promise you, because it elicits an emotional, visceral, physiological, biological reaction. And so tying yourself back to your biology, back to that negative, as much as I talk about positivity, those are like those berries, right? Like create the enemy and then fight against it. That's what our brains are looking for. Okay. I'm happy with that. I'm not going to really dive too much into it. I will share some thoughts to build on it. Let's go. One makes me think of uh, Charbroilus and the rock in a hard place that they also, I'd I'd be curious to know and explore that as a speaking concept. That's just, we can do that later. But I like this idea of taking elements of Ulysses' path and tie it back to some sort of oration or something like that. I love that. Because I think we get faced with I just went to there. Like we get faced between a rock and a hard place. Like we want to speak, but we don't want to speak for free. And it's like, how do we navigate that swirling? Like you kind of have to choose one or the other. And I think having the Ulysses tie down will help you make that decision. Absolutely. But I would challenge you. I think that'd be a fun blog to read from you. All right, done. Secondly, I'm thinking more of the Parkinson's law, which is not Murphy's law where everything goes wrong if it's gonna, but Parkinson's law. You might be interested in researching. It's basically that we will fill things like it's a deadline driven motivation Yep, and it doesn't have the emotional appeal to it. But I think the deadline plus the emotion, sometimes that works for me where like your dad, yep. because the sermon is tomorrow, got to do it. Whether or not you're going to fit in Gloria Estevan, you got to do that before the show. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if it was a Gloria or was it somebody else? It was Gloria Estevan. Yeah. He was brilliant about it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why that name came to us, but that it worked. So the other thing that um, I'm curious on and how you are incorporating for your business growth of speaking is you said it accountability, and I'm going to parlay that to feedback. And I want to know more about the app that you have Yep. and how accountability and feedback can actually grow your speaking business. Yeah. So a quick story, because I'm a speaker and that's what we do. When I was maybe eight years old, I won my like city competition for 4-H And then I won the county. And then I went to state and I didn't show up because I started thinking, oh gosh, I'm valued for this. And if I fail, what will I be? I'll be nothing. I'll be nobody. And so I was so scared of getting feedback that I didn't allow myself to grow. I didn't allow myself to expand. I didn't allow myself to even recognize that, hey, actually I might be good at this. And even if I don't make it at this level, how can I improve? How can I get to that next level? So to me, feedback is a gift. And I think so often it's tied into this fear of rejection. So if I'm not a 10 out of 10 on everything, I fail. I'm getting kicked out of the tribe. I'm nobody. 
no, you're fine. You just need to know about it so that if that's an area you want to pursue, you need some growth. And if it's not an area you want to pursue, that's fine. Like Steve Jobs won on empathy. Won. Maybe. Empathy we always talk about as being like a really important leadership quality. But if you know that you're not empathetic, that's fine as if you're aware of it. Because then you can surround yourself with a team that's going to help you communicate empathy when needed. Okay, I just had this vision of somebody, let's say me, just completely covered in mud, like from head to toe, almost <laughs> like I was in some weird like Portugal mud bath, right? Like just nothing yep. on me. I've got clothes on, but just mud. And it makes me think of what you said is feedback as a gift, as like a little kind of lame garden hose that's just like hosing <laughs> off all the stuff that is not interesting. And then all of a sudden you've got like a left side of my face and my right cheek and like those two areas maybe are still mudded up. And I'm like, okay. That's what I'm left with. And that was my vision of that story. Maybe the mud because of 4-H and I just thought pig's mud. That was my connection. I mean, it, yeah, it fits. It's brilliant though, because I mean, when we were, I think we're so afraid to be ourselves. It fits in with what you're talking about with like ditch the act, you know, we're yes, so- Yes, ditch the act, ditch the act. <laughs> we're so afraid of it. Like I, I told you, I came on and I apologize. I'm like, man, I just came in from a walk. I'm all sweaty. I got like hat hair going on. And I was like, I could spend 15 minutes and get myself to look right and try and sound better and, you know, do the whole primping thing. Or I could bring my authentic, genuine self. And for any speaker out there, like that is my biggest advice, you know, just show up as you. I can't be Steve Martin. I'll never be Steve Martin. If I try to be him, I will fail. But nobody can be Rebecca Heiss. Have you read his book, by the way? Oh, gosh, I love him. I also appreciate him as well. Okay, so... This app that you have gives feedback. That's the mechanism. Yep. Where do people go to download it to solve the problem that they're filled with mud and they just need to be hosed off a little bit by their friends and family? Pretty simple. You can get it on the App Store. So whether you're an Android user or an Apple user, download it. Iquity uh, is its name. I-C-U-E-I-T-Y. So like i queuing you in. Like I'm giving you a cue here. You should pick up that cue. You should use that cue. It's an important cue. <laughs> okay, yes. I am cued and I have a handful more of cues to ask, but I don't want to throw too much mud at our audience today. Boy, that's a shame. I want to just cover them with mud because that is what I do, but I'm going to resist that urge. I'm going to talk to my own enemy here and uh, mud me. Yes, the enemy, the <laughs> mud me. Love it. Hey, well, this has been this has been refreshing. This has been fun. This has been muddy. <laughs> but I think that's how we really clean ourselves up as speakers, essentially. And I will send a shout out to not only Nick Morgan for connecting us, but also to Speaker Hub, who sponsors this awesome podcast where I get to spend my time hanging out with people that I've never met before, challenging them to learn all of their secrets, all of their dirty, muddy secrets, so that it helps me and more selfishly, all of our listeners and I would invite you and I'll send you the info if you want to have your own speaker hub profile. It's a place to be seen. It's a place to search for call for speakers. It's a place where you can throw your keys, not your mud. <laughs> but only one key. I'm going to change it. Only one key. Your key. Your Ben and Jerry flavored antelope cantaloupe. <laughs> also, check out Rebecca's TEDx talk. It is a fun one. And yeah, forever you'll remember that TEDx talk where somebody was eating not Ben and Jerry's, but um, antelope and cantaloupe mm, Aries. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mm, good stuff. Hey, well, thank you. And if people want to find more about you or they want to hire you to bring your energy and your humor, whether they think <laughs> it's funny or not. Yeah. Where do they go to find you, book you? You can find me at Rebecca Heiss. That is R-E-B-E-C-C-A 
H-E-I-S-S dot com. And you can find me on all the socials at Dr. Rebecca Heiss. Find me. Yeah, I'll be there. And check out for, be on the lookout for my new book because it's coming out April 2021. If you want to know more about your instincts, look out. Heiss is in nice. What is the title of it? Is it called Mud Me? I wish. I mean, the title was taken. I don't know. People got to it before us. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's called Instinct. So pretty, pretty stoked about it. It's all about the instincts that helped us to survive for 200,000 years that today hold us back from our optimal performance. So check it out. Well, we need some survival tactics today. So put me on the early review list. I'm happy to support it. This has been a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, we are done. <laughs> 